Hello, my name is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I've been interviewing celebrities since 1984 when I trained as a journalist. I am now turning a selection of those interviews into podcasts for a collection called the PJ Archive. The fourth is with the Kenyan-British singer-songwriter Roger Whittaker, one of the great gentlemen of entertainment, known the world over since the late 1960s for hits like Durham Town, New World in the Morning and The Last Farewell. His fans have included Elvis Presley and President George Bush Sr., and he remains a superstar in Germany. Although Roger and his beloved wife Natalie, with whom he has six children, moved to France in 2012, this interview took place in early 2005, at their then almost stately home in Ireland. Roger was then 68, and as he explained, finding it impossible to hang up his microphone and guitar for good. Well, I was supposed to be retired in when I was 65, and uh, I was in Vienna, and I thought it'll be a great opportunity to finish on a high note, you know, because we had 12,000 people there. Yeah. And um, this is what happened, and friends came over, and ladies cried, and people said, well, that's it, goodbye, you know. And I moved to Ireland with Natalie, who is Irish. My wife is Irish. She, we've been married for 40 years, and that I couldn't sit down and do nothing yeah. and I started to write songs and I, I recorded some here in the studio in this house and it comes out as a new album in the summertime uh, moments of my life oh, moments of my life and you got your greatest hits album out now you've released yeah. a few greatest hits over the years haven't you yes people have, have I don't know how many albums are out there mm. it must be a hundred at least <laughs> and people keep putting out the greatest mm. hits of you still like um, your greatest hits, though, because people always want you to play them. They do, yeah. Well, you can't do a concert without it, you know. If you didn't do it, Chet Atkins told me one day, they're your, they're your career songs, mm. and you must never get bored of them. You must always listen to how you did it, because that's how people like it. But do you think they're your best songs? In the main, I think... I, think, uh, I don't believe in if was one of the nicest songs I ever right. wrote. Yeah. But there are songs that... You know, the artist is the worst judge of anything he mm. writes. Mm. I, I loved a song called... Um, the Best I Can, and another song called The Other Side, which were on two albums that slipped into the cracks, if you like. So those are both on the new Greatest Hits package. Sure, there's Durham Town, I don't believe in if New World and Last Farewell, Skyboat Song and Mexican Whisper, they're on there. But... But also, you're whistling on quite a lot. Yeah. Is that, is that became your sort of trademark for a while? Is well, that, was that deliberate <laughs> or accidental? Well, let me tell you what happened. I, I, in the 50s, I fell in love with Paraguayan music. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was the thing to listen to, Pipes. South American Indian mm -hmm. flutes and guitars mm -hmm. and harps and stuff. And I was, I was the same as everybody else. I fell in love with it too. And instead of just playing the records, I capoed the 12-string guitar right up and, and, and had this lovely high mm -hmm. quality, sounded like a Paraguayan harp. And I practiced two Paraguayan tunes that I'd put together, and just for my own amusement. And um, one day I was entertaining in Quaglinos, which is exceptionally difficult to do in the early 70s. No, it was late 60s. And the people were so hard to entertain, you know, that the only technique you could use was to go quieter and quieter and quieter. <laughs> Till everybody could hear the lady saying, "Well, I told Priscilla only yesterday that she that she would act up, you know." And then she, you realise she was shouting, and then she stopped, and that was your chance to get her attention. You know what I'm saying? But it taught you your job. I mean, you learned your job. Then one day I thought, "Well, I'll try this," and I did Mexican Whistler for the people that were listening, and it was immediately 
attention-grabbing. Mm. People shut up and listen to them. Mm. What was that? Do that again. Let me hear yeah. you do that. Because a lot of people can't do it. Yeah. No, I know. I know. But a lot of people yeah. used to, Bing Crosby, Al mm. Jolson, all these people, mm. used to whistle mm. little bits, but not the way I do it. Yeah. It's a unique way of doing it. From then on, I thought, well, whistling's got to be in. It's mm. got to be in there because mm. it's something people recognise yeah. as difficult to do. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people like to categorise artists as well. Do you consider yourself folk, pop, or what, what, what would you say? This is uh, extremely difficult. Um, I sing a lot of Irish folk music. I sing a lot of... I made an album called Folk Songs of Our Islands, mm. Volume 1, because we suspected we'd have to make lots more volumes. Did you ever do any more? Well, the trouble was Dennis Preston, who was <coughs> the recording man of my life, mm. died of cancer, and, and so we didn't know. But um, I love folk music. So I would say I'm a folk-orientated, middle-of-the-road singer mm. because I've sung so many. Mm. I've covered millions of songs and I've sung so many original ones, you know. Well, you mentioned the Skyboat song earlier and you did that with Des O'Connor. Yes. Any nice stories about Des? Because we do love well, Des in Britain. Yeah, he's great, actually. Although he gets a hard time from the public Morecambe because Wise. Morecambe and Wise <laughs> gave him a hard time and people tend to carry it off. I can remember we went to do Top of the Pops and, mm -hmm. and you know, he loved to to uh, impress on them that he was ITV orientated and uh, I remember him saying we could buy this place if you <laughs> <laughs> and I was oh no Jess no, no don't alienate the BBC for both of us you know <laughs> and they they really were upset with him because he was he was yeah because he 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 threatened to <clears throat> buy the BBC off them <laughs> and, and uh, we did Top of the Pops together on this and it was a great success <laughs> you know do you rate him as a singer? I do. I watched him entertain in, uh, in Bedfordshire once at the Caesar's Palace in Dunstable. And uh, he's a very fine entertainer. Mm -hmm. Princess mm -hmm. Margaret used to love watching him work. Oh, she no. came and watched him oh. too. Now, this greatest hits is 64 to 2004. Yeah. So that's your 40-year career. Yeah. H how long does it feel to you? Feels like yesterday. Mm. It's like looking at your children, you know. Mm. Um, you look at the pictures of them on the wall and you think, it was it yesterday mm. they were this size? Mm. Time goes so fast. I mean, it's Thursday already, mm. you know. It's Christmas is over. <laughs> now we're looking forward to the next one, mm. you know. <laughs> um, grab the moment, I tell you. Just take time to smell the roses because mm. otherwise you miss so much. My father said to me once, time will go quicker and quicker and quicker yeah. and quicker till in the end, you know, a week feels like a minute. Mm. And he's right. Mm. How do you explain your sort of enduring appeal? Because you're enormously successful for well, such a long period of time. I really think people like to hear the original song that they loved, sung by the original artist. Mm -hmm. um, when you die, they buy all the records because they say, well, we'll never hear him again live. But if you record stuff that people fall in love with, and it, somehow in every decade we've done something mm -hmm. that people love, and they, they want to hear you sing it. They want to hear the original guy sing it. Mm -hmm. Even though his top notes may not be what they used to be, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They want to hear you play your songs. If you... If you play a recording of a Dylan concert, they're always shouting, blowing in the wind, and mm. Mr. Tambourine mm. Man, and, oh, uh, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. and these were great songs. I mean, as they said in the paper the other day, if the guy had only written the half a dozen of the first mm. songs he ever wrote, he'd have, been a, mm. a, he'd have been renowned for the rest of his days mm. and forever. But look at what he's done since, you mm. know. Your national service, was that traumatic for you? It was oh. fantastically oh. successful in making a man out of me. Mm. Before I was... In the army, I was really an asshole. I was stupid, I was selfish, I was aggressive, 
I was angry, I was all the things you didn't want to be. Do you think music has channeled any anger you have had? No, I, uh, I, think, I think the army did that. The army oh, taught okay. me management, anger management. Yeah. You, can't, you can't get angry in the army, mm. you have to keep your cool. And I loved it. I, the army was an alternative career for me. Mm. I would have loved to have been in the army, but... It, you did medicine, though, didn't you? For, for then, well, my mother always wanted me to be a doctor. All right. She admired the medical profession, yeah. and she could have grained it into my brain. Mm. I want you to be a doctor, I want you to be a doctor. That's well, I right? went down to South Africa and I, I took my guitar with me, which was a big mistake. Mm. And I spent a lot of time playing guitars and rugby. Very little time studying. And I, eventually I said, I don't want to do medicine. I think, try teaching. I think I'll try teaching. Do you feel, because so, like, you were doing entertaining in your spare time, were yeah. you ever told you're an absolute natural, you really yeah. should be doing that? Yeah, by many people. Right. But Is that what made you actually concentrate on that? Well, I knew I could sing. You see. Mm. I knew I could sing. I, I could sing very well, naturally. Mm. And I sang in a school choir at church for the cathedral school mm. choir and so on. And when I got to Wales, everybody knew I could sing because I'd been singing in the 50s mm. as well as teaching. And, you know, everybody said, oh, he used to sing. He used to sing professionally in Kenya and write commercials for radio. And so when I got to Wales, this was an un there was an undercurrent of this, of what I used to do. And so I used to sing for the Ice Deadford and I used mm. to sing for university rag days. And, mm. and then I fell in love with biochemistry. Mm. And I had a great professor called Charles Evans who was a fantastic man. He just had the right key to my brain. Mm. And between the two of us, I did very well in that subject. I mean, he mm. kind of took the place of my father in many ways because I talked to him. Mm. And I said, you know, I'm thinking of going into the entertainment business just to get it out of my system. Mm. How long do you think you'll be? I said, I don't know, about a year maybe, we'll see. <laughs> and he said to me, well, I'll give you 10. Mm. If within 10 years you give it up, come back and study in this lab. When you started out, how long did you think it would last? Well, my father thought it would last about a minute. Mm, did he? So, yeah, well, he hated it. He never, he never settled his mind to the fact that I was an entertainer. Mm. He always figured it was a second-class occupation, mm. you know, real. That must he, be a disappointment to all the successful. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. Well, I mean, they did... They did uh, this is your life, and, and uh, they invited them over and they said, no, really? I'm not getting involved in his publicity stunts. And, and they said, well, can we send a camera team out to you? They said, no. They said, well, can, can we interview you on the telephone? No. And that was that. They just refused to have anything to do with it. And when, when I had a tape of it, I took to Kenya to show them. No, didn't even want to see it. Both your parents? Yeah, really strange. Really strange. How can you account for that? I think they just hated the fact that I didn't continue with my biochemistry research projects. But you made a they, lot more money doing this. Yeah, but you... that's not important to them. You see, they, what was important was to do something positive for people. Now, I always think you know making people happy is a positive thing Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. But they never saw it that way. They they always figured, well, you've got a good brain, you should be doing some biochemical research, finding cures for this, or creating ways of producing more food in the world, and so on. So what I did was I worked for the university I went to, which was the University of Wales, Bangor, mm. and I worked for their research projects in Africa and so on. Was there never a nod from your parents at all? Did they never send you a letter or say something to you? that? No, they, they really were, were lukewarm about the whole thing. 
<laughs> Never listened to you. Isn't it strange? Oh, yes, they did. They liked the records. I used to give them all the records we ever did, and they'd sit on a Sunday and play them through sometimes. Oh, I know. Strong. I know it was. And my father was a, a musician. He loved playing the violin and until I pushed my sister and she sat on it, which was another story. Because <laughs> <laughs> 40 years of your career and you've been married for 40 years as yeah. well. Do you feel that's significant in a way? Because you've got a very long and happy marriage as well. So. Yes, she, well, she's a great woman. Yes, she's absolutely um, is, yeah. 42 years, because I sang for two years professionally before I married. Okay. Right. And I, I went to Kenya, if you're pushing things, <laughs> in the 50s, to, to make money to see me through the university mm. thing. So, but do you feel that there is significance? You in a happy personal um, life, successful professional. I think it's vital mm. that you have somebody who is cooperating with your efforts. Natalie comes from a background where the women are accustomed to bringing up the children on their own because they were diplomats and mm. generals and uh, governors and so on. So she's quite used to, and the war came along, so mm. she was a child in the war, mm. shipped off to Wales during the bombing, the Blitz. She was a very wild uh, little mm. person when she was young, brought up with a great deal of freedom, mm -hmm. as I was. Mm. So we see eye to eye on nearly everything. Mm. Um, you know, if we do have a fight, which is very rare, mm. um, one of us always patches it up. Remind us how you met the two of you. Was it, was well, she, you? Was, um, she was my recording manager's secretary. Okay. And Miss O'Brien took over from a dragonish redhead woman who, who, who was my ally. Mm. She was a great ally and I loved her dearly. But not the same way I love Nat. Mm. And I used to sit there and talk to Natalie for hours because my recording manager at the time was a guy called Jack Baverstock and he mm. couldn't see what I was doing at all. Couldn't see it. And, and he came to the wedding and he said, if I was you, I'd take up school teaching again. Oh, <laughs> 1962. Mm. And I said, well, you know, maybe you're right, Jack, but I'm not going to give up till I've given it my best shot. And then we got married, and then, of course, uh, in 67, everything took off. You explained that your parents never really gave you approval as far as your career was concerned, no. but were they taken with Natalie? Oh, yeah, they loved her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my they father did. loved her on sight. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the end of it, much more than he ever loved me on sight. He loved her on mm -hmm. sight. My mother loved her on sight, but nevertheless, there was this mother-in-law business that no woman's good enough for my son, you know. Why do you think you were never flavour of... I was never flavour of the month. Do you know? I wish I knew. I wrote you a song about it. had some thoughts about it over the years, some theories. Well, I couldn't do anything right for him. Couldn't do anything right. Did he, you've, you obviously got tremendous appreciation and adoration from millions of people all around the world. Does that match up to what perhaps you really needed from your dad? Nah. No. No. Every, every son needs a father. Are you glad that you were brought up, born and brought up in Africa? I love my country. I love Kenya. Um, my father was murdered there in 89. And I still love it. I don't blame anybody. I, they didn't intend to kill him, probably, but they did. Can you explain what happened? Or did you... Well, they, they came into the house. Uh, I think they were supposed to frighten him. I think they, they, they intended to frighten him. Um, living on his own? No, my mother was shopping at the time. Oh. She came back and walked into them at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they stopped torturing her at half past five in the afternoon. So it was no joke. Oh. You had asked your dad to move back, hadn't you? Oh, I begged him to move to England, but he wouldn't. Mm. He didn't want my help in anything. Yeah. And how did you hear about what happened? Your mother rang you, did she? No, my mother was incapacitated. She was just a wreck. Right. Uh, my father's, uh, my father and mother, ha ha 
liked a friend of mine called um, Howard Clark. Right. And Howie and his wife uh, went up to ask them to tea. And when they got there, the police were around the place. He rang me and said, I'm afraid your, your dad has died. And I said, is it natural? He said, yes, it's quite natural. Uh, and I said, OK, I'm on my way. And I, 10 hours later, he met me at the airport and said to me, well, I have to confess, I, di I wasn't honest with you. Hmm. He was, in fact, murdered. So I didn't want you to have 10 hours in the plane worrying about it. You know? So that was that. But um, my mother came round at half past five to hear these people leaving. She was left in a bath of ice-cold water. She was blue and hardly alive. And they thought she'd died too, so they left the bathroom door open. And she came downstairs and stopped her, an Indian doctor and his wife, who were driving along the road right at the bottom of our property. And uh, he said, oh, I'll go and look for him. And he found my father's body rolled up in a, rolled up in a, in a carpet in the library. Generally. What were they after these people? Were they burglars? Yeah. 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 Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Lots of theories. I don't know. Nobody really knows what they wanted. I, mm. uh, they stole a lot of stuff, electronics and things like that, mm. that they could sell. But they think they were after money. They thought my father must have money in the house, which he didn't. I don't know. It's a mystery which will remain a mystery for all time, I guess. Did they catch the people? No. How do no. you feel about that? I feel terrible about it, but mm. I mean, I didn't think they would. Mm. I thought, well, you know, when we, when we leave, they'll just throw the file under the desk and that's mm. it. Did your mother ever recover? Yes. She came to this country and she was with us for seven years before she died. Mm. She died at 90. Wow. She was 83 when she came here. She lived on her own. She insisted on living on her own for many of those years. She recovered psychologically. Oh, well. yeah. Never mentioned it. Really? Never brought it up. Right. And bearing in mind the sort of relationship you had with your dad, as you explained earlier, was it quite a difficult emotion to deal with anyway? There was a lot more than I thought. I, I was very sorry that it happened. Yeah. And, um, you know, you couldn't, it's hard to explain. How did it make you sort of reflect on your relationship you had with your dad, though, when you lost him so suddenly? Oh, it was too late. It was too late by then, much too late. It was a strange relationship, I have to say. I, I, I don't know. I was very sorry it happened, and, and it stuck with me forever, you know? Mm. It'll affect me for the rest of my life, but... In what ways does it affect oh, you? Oh, I don't know. It makes you very angry and very insecure. Do you consider yourself an angry and insecure person? You seem very, very contented and... Yeah, and I've learned to manage it in my right. life. Yeah, I've learned to manage it. So I'm not, a, mm. I'm not an aggressive person particularly. No. I take so much and then I tend to explode. Mm. My children will tell you that I never raise a hand to them. Mm. I, never, I never had to. I never had to really raise my voice. Because you explained earlier how the army helped you deal with a lot of anger oh, yeah. and stress you had when you were a youngster. So what's been your sort of outlet oh, since 89, for instance? Well, I think, I think the entertainment business is a great help. Thank mm. God I had a voice. I could do something well. Mm. I think every young person should find out what they can do best well mm. and do it. Mm. Um, Whatever happens, do it. Mm. Use it. Mm -hmm. Whatever talent, whatever you're best at, whatever you enjoy most in the world, get on and do it. Don't listen to anybody. Mm. Not your parents, not anybody. Mm. Have you missed your parents? Yes, I do. I, missed, I miss not having a father very much. I missed, there were all kinds of people that took his place 
you know, after a fashion. Um, Do you think that the lack of appreciation you got made you very ambitious, made you determined to...? It made me very determined. Um, it, it built a strength in my character mm. that saw me through the tough years, yes. Mm. Do you think, in a way, that's why you want to live in a place like this, that's really grand and sort of saying... Well, I've always said, you're here once, and I've never mm. seen a hearse pulling a safe. A life is to be lived. And if you can help others along the way, that's great. Mm. But you only hear once, you know. When you started your entertainment career, yeah. though, you, you started a family very quickly afterwards. Do you think that was a good idea in retrospect? No, it was a lousy idea. If you looked at it, you'd have said I was nuts. Mm. Because, because I had, you know, my father-in-law lent me £2,000 to put down as a deposit mm. on a £6,000 Tudor mm. cottage in Essex. Mm. Did you plan to start a family, though? Oh, yes. That, that, that you was... said when you saw Natalie. Oh, before. yes. No. Yeah, no, no, I knew. I said, this is it. This is the mother of my children. And mm. so... Um, Why did you want children so much? Because this is all that's important. Is it? Yes. I consider someone who's been on this earth and never had kids to have wasted his time. Really? Really, yeah, basically, in the main. Right. Uh, I mean, there aren't too many Einsteins, there aren't too many yeah. Newtons, there aren't too many Freuds, there aren't too many people around who can contribute something without um, leaving um, offspring. I, yeah. think, I think the important thing is to, is to let the genes go on, yeah, you know, true. especially good genes. I'm sounding terrible, but sometimes it doesn't work, mm -hmm. you know, That's genetically. Yeah, yeah. Would you like them to have gone into your business, to have been serious? No. No, I always said uh, it's too tough, really. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard profession. I was in it for five years before, mm. before I succeeded, and I was very lucky mm. because I started in Ulster and, and we produced a very long series of small shows, musical shows, mm. that cost nothing to make but were very successful. This started me off. I mean, I was able to earn a living after that. Why do you feel your career took off when so many other people try and fail? Why do, what was it the well, secret of your...? I reckon 50% of it was luck. And 50% was the fact that I wrote a lot of my own material. I had Mexican Whistler. I had a song called Mistral. I had If I Were a Rich Man, which I didn't, no, didn't. sing intentionally at the Kanaka oh, Festival yeah, in 67. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just liked the song and mm -hmm. I thought, well, it's a song I can sing. Mm -hmm. Suits my baritone voice. What was the moment you realised your career was oh, up and running? When I won the press prize at Kanaka. Right. Did anyone suggest that you change your name? Something more dazzling than Roger <laughs> Whitaker's a very good it English good name. name. I'm not knocking it. I'm no. I, I said no. I, would, I used to sing under the name of Hank in Kenya. Did you? Because Why? it was rock and roll time and Hank oh, was, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I used to, well, Hank, he's back. He's back from Europe. He'll be singing here for the next mm. three weeks. The place would be packed mm. with all my old army buddies and people like mm. that. Your beard has long been your trademark sort of yeah. thing, uh, yeah. visually anyway. Yeah. Um, when, do you, when and why did you grow that originally? I looked at myself on TV and I thought, oh, that face will never make it. Seriously? Yep, that when face that? will never make it. Early on in your career? Early on, never make it. And I did um, one of the early ITV shows. I was singing Steel Men. And um, I looked at myself and I thought, that's not going to be good enough. And I, I used to have a beard at university. So I grew it again. I still had it when I married Natalie, you know. Wow. And in 64, 
I made all these television programs with the beard, and everybody liked it. It looked much better than, you know, it was a folky type of thing to do. Have you ever shaved it off and all the fans gone, no, put it back on, Roger? I've shaved it off and my wife has nearly throttled really? me. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> with the atmosphere, you perhaps a more unlikely heartthrob than, than some singers. I'm you not had, a heartthrob. No, you, you've had your moments. I remember you told me last time you'd, you'd gone into a hotel room and found a girl with a bow round her neck in bed. Absolutely. I'm yours for the night or something. Yeah. Another girl came from an adjoining room in Canada or something. Yeah, that's right. So, you know... Oh, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Apart from those... Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah, it does. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. People kiss my head. The The most beautiful head in show business, they say. So, I mean, I'm amazed. I, I mean, you know... Do you think it's the voice or the way you sing or the, or you just... Your I, women song? don't look at things the way we do. They don't... They don't they don't look and say, well, he's got to be handsome and he's mm. got to be, you know, like, we, we're we very venal, really. I mean, we, we look at a woman's mm. shape before mm. we look at anything else and right. we say, well, she's got a, a great pair of legs or whatever. Mm. And this is very important to men, that this, this is the case. So Natalie's never yes, worried. I mean, you presume you've never given a cause to worry, so... Well, no, I haven't. Yeah. Have you ever been tempted with all those yes, things? Yes, often. You have? Yeah. Often. Mm. And I've thought about her and her Irish forebears. One of them burned 70 English soldiers in a barn. I don't think I want to get involved with that. (laughs) Why Germany? What what is it with your music in Germany? Well, I started off in English. The Last Farewell was published there in 1976. And they had three albums out at the same time, and they were all in the top five. One, two and four, I think. The East Germans only speak... In those days, it was East Germany. Now it's, mm. of course, United. But in those days, they only spoke Russian or, or, or German. And um, the, the record man said to me, why don't you record your biggest hits in German? You know, we'll get them translated. I said, because I don't speak it. Mm. I, French, I can speak, mm. I understand. Yep. Sing originally in French, but I, can't, I don't want to <clears throat> sing originally in German without telling the people mm. that I'm doing it for you. Mm. I, I don't speak your language, so don't expect to hear me talking it, but I'll sing it for you. So that's what I did. And I, uh, my first German album was all, I don't believe in If, River Lady mm. and Last Farewell and all, you know, um, Indian Lady and a few other things that were big hits there in English. It sold like two, two and a half million copies, so... I think because you made it? an effort for them then. Yes, yeah, sort of that's quite right. And I think part of the the attraction is that, I, that they know I'm very poor at mm. proper German. So they like to come to the concerts and see me make mistakes mm. and, and, you know, simple things and make jokes. Um, I used to do The Man from La Mancha, you know, and mm-hmm. they'd laugh and they saw me come out dressed like an idiot, mm. you know. There are other hugely popular singers, David Hasselhoff. Have you Hasselhoff, met? Love, they love Hasselhoff, yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. Met him? Well, he's a great television star. They, mm. they, they dub the German voice onto everything. Mm. So you can see Baywatch Sean Connery and and yeah. speaking, speaking German, mm. and they try and do his voice, you know, I must say, you know, I think I'll have another cup of tea, please, you know. So, <laughs> so you see this guy trying to, and he, and he hasn't got it right at all, and it's really strange to us who are used to hearing the voice. We know the voice so well, you know, mm. and they, they do it in German. Do you feel disappointed that the British haven't, you know, taken you to their hearts in the same way that the Germans have? Oh, they did. They did in mm. the 70s, yeah. early 70s, right the way through, 71, um, mm. the late 60s. Sure, I had a wonderful yeah. time, and I thought the British were lovely. Mm. And... Uh, 
they have this characteristic, the Dutch have it too, the Belgians have it, the French have it, of having something for a while and then, no, let's do something else now. Mm. He's had his shot now. He's had his five minutes of fame. Let's give somebody else a chance. That's why these programmes, you know, uh, Search for a Star and uh, Pop Idol and all these things work so well because this is what people love. They want to see something new all the time. Mm. Where are you most Which is great, which is great. Um, well, I can play in America... I can fill a theatre from Seattle to Miami and from Boston to, to San Diego, you know. Mm. Um, not many people can do that. You get spotted in the street, though. Oh, yeah, sure, you? sure. Oh. oh, in England, spotted in the street, you can't go shopping oh. without people coming up and saying hello and how now nah, we love your music and all that. What do they want to ask you most of the time? What, when are you touring the country? Mm. When are you going to do a concert? Um, how about records? Are you still making records? Mm. Oh, I thought well? you were dead. Oh dear, that's not very nice. Yeah, <laughs> I went into a pub yeah. in uh, in Athlone and mm. and uh, a fellow said, "Oh, you're Roger." I said, "Yes, fine. How do you do?" And we chatted. Then he came back five minutes later. Says, "There's a guy around the corner that says you can't be. He's dead." <laughs> so I went round. How and long said, ago was that? Oh, two years ago. So I went round and said, "Hello, I'm a ghost. How, how are you doing?" <laughs> he said, "Oh, I honestly thought you died." Oh. Roger Miller died. Yes, and, King of the Road. Yeah, and everybody. Somebody on the radio said Roger Whittaker had died. Oh. So Natalie got phone calls to say, sorry to hear that your husband's died. And she had a fit because I was in yeah. London doing something or other. Mm. And um, the BBC played a lot of records by me saying, yeah. yeah, I know. Did you feel a bit dodgy that day? No, I felt great, actually. <laughs> I was sorry for Roger Miller. He was a great artist. Yes. I liked this King of the... So in fact, I think I, I, I did a cover version of it. How much of a tower of strength has Natalie been? I imagine immense. Oh, she's huge, hugely important to me. Um, you know, marriage is full of ups and downs. It's not something that, that you can't say, well, it's been perfect all the way, because it hasn't. I did too much work and lost touch with her emotionally and then stopped for six months and brought it all back to life. Um, no, no, uh, no relationship is totally 100% perfect. Do you feel you've been given the credit that you deserve as an artist? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. In fact, I'm astonished. Uh, I'm thrilled and delighted that people like the music I've written as much as they do. Mm. Um, yeah, I think so. I think mm. it's great. You what know? about the greatest tribute you've been paid, do you feel? I don't know. This Is Your Life was very nice. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a lovely thing. Eamon Andrews was what talking. Was that? It was 82, mm. 1982, because my mother refused to come. and uh, We were mm. making the movie in Kenya mm. when Natalie approached her to come. Mm. When Mom. you were sorting through your parents' stuff, didn't you find anything that sort of made evidence that they were proud of you and your career or anything? No, I didn't. I found the reverse, really. I, really? Found, I found a chair, a, a camp chair that I'd made for my dad. It took me a year and a half to make it on a lathe at school. It was my project for, for O-Levels. Mm -hmm. I made it for him, and it was one of these chairs that you could take to pieces and yep. put together, you know, mm -hmm. with a canvas seat and back mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. leather arms. And I was clearing all the stuff out, and there it was, right at the back of the loft, mm -hmm. in a corner, tucked away so, so you could hardly see it. That shook me a bit, mm -hmm. I have to say. That mm -hmm. shook me a bit. I thought, oh dear, why did he do that? Mm -hmm. And no, I didn't find anything. I didn't find any evidence of myself at all. Really strange. Mm -hmm. My mother kept some old school reports, but that's about it. You told me that George Bush had given you a tremendous compliment. Was that was the senior George Bush? Are you stayed in I mean, touch with him, the senior? Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. Just as him? we would with anybody else. Really? Sure, absolutely. Has he been over here to stay? Or would no, no, no. Have you been to I'd him? love him to come, but right. I don't know if he would. Mm. I don't know if he would. We stayed with him, but, and I played golf with him a couple of times. Mm. 
and I sang for him every night. The music seemed to give him great solace, you know, when he was going through the Gulf War. He had certain favourites that he loved. He used to say to his nurses when the Gulf War was on, which took a terrific toll on him, he used to say, come on, ten minutes of heaven, and they'd put one of my tapes on while they massaged him. Yeah. They used to say, um, how do you know that Saddam Hussein watches CNN? Well, he's bought three of Roger Whittaker's album. <laughs> because it was advertised on mm. CNN. Anything he said to you personally that's really touched you or that you never forget? No, not really. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I, I'd give my life for the man. Mm. He's really? that sort of bloke, oh, yeah. Mm. Six foot three for a start. He's almost as big as you. Mm. And he's very human and very super chap, mm. super chap. Does it seem amazing when you've, you know, been to Buckingham Palace or the White House or whatever? Mm. You just have to pinch yourself and say, look, you know, where you've come from and what you've achieved. And Absolutely. Well, I didn't believe any of it at first. Right. I read in the paper that he was a great fan and that he loved his Roger Whittaker albums. Mm. What's he going to do now he retires? He probably, they said he'll probably go fishing and listen to Roger Whittaker albums all day. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe they're trying to insult him. <laughs> I never took any notice. And then one day we had a call from the White House to mm. say, to our American office saying, this is the White House, could we have some autographs for the nurses, please? Mm. And one for George Bush particularly, mm. President Bush. Oh we, oh, we didn't. The secretary said, come on, who's this yeah. pulling our leg? Mm. And finally, we, we were convinced that it was real, you know. Oh. But right up until I shook hands with him, I didn't mm. believe it. I thought yeah. someone's pulling your leg. <laughs> but he was wonderful. Do you know what his son thinks of you? No, I don't know if his son's ever heard of me. All right. I don't know if his son's have ever <laughs> I heard of me. But he's had to listen to the music, though. He, he might well have done. Yeah, yeah he might well yeah. have done. I don't know. Maybe he yeah. likes it, too. Yeah. No, you're yet to be Sir Roger, aren't you? Oh, it never happened. But, I mean, why, wouldn't, why would it never happen? Because I'm not living there, and I'm not, you know. Oh, you think that's put you out of the... I would never be in the running. It's just not mm. something that ever entered my mind. But do you like to be honoured? I mean, I'd love to be honoured. I'd love to be honoured, but it's... Life's honoured me. I mean, I've had mm. great times. Mm. I would love to be, yeah, sure. It's nice to be recognised by people of your generation or people that live at the same time as you. What's you know, been the greatest award that you, you've... The greatest tribute, you know, that you feel award-wise? I think the, um, the uh, Benet Brith Award in right. New York. Mm. We had 6,000... Jewish people who gave me this award. I thought it was a great honour. Mm. So it sounds like you're very satisfied with your career. I am, yes. Yeah. I've, I've so had a wonderful should, yeah. time. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're famous on this earth when you're mm. living, just how you live your life, you know. Mm. Mm. And I've never really hurt anybody. I've been hurt by people, but I've never hurt them. I think, I think it's silly to, to retaliate or, mm. you know, just live without hate if you can. You and you live in the past, the cost of it's the present. Do you have aims and ambitions still? I'd like to finish a show I'm doing called Getty with uh, Howard, an Arab name for a town that was very prominent mm -hmm. 600 years ago mm -hmm. on the Kenya coast. Uh, the Arabs owned the, the coastline of Kenya, did you know that? They rented it to the British for right. many years. And um, they had sheikhs, if you like, but, but Getty, Mombasa, Zanzibar, maybe more. And they controlled their little area. And Getty was a, an important trading town because it had a deep water harbor. And the next one down with the deep water harbor was Shimoni. And um, that's where the slaves were loaded onto the, onto, they came from Tanzania and Kenya. Slaves and apes and ivory and peacocks and all that was loaded onto the ships there. And then they sailed up the coast to Getty. And the Arabs would then come and buy slaves and take them back to wherever they were going, Yemen or whatever. So what's your project? A musical? Yeah. 
for the stage in London? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Really? And when do you reckon to have that? Well, every time I say to Howard, we've got to get on with this, something happens. A tour comes up or we have another record to make or, you know. Um, my obligations to the record company finish next year and then we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe after I finish my German tour in the spring of 2005, I can sit down with him and spend three months working in the studio here. A lot of artists are having their greatest hits turned into stage shows at the moment. Like are they? ABBA have done theirs. That's correct. With Mamma Mia. Yeah. Cat Stevens is doing one at the moment. Oh, is he? Uh, they've got Madness, they've got Queed at the moment. Yeah. Rod Stewart's got a musical about him. Would you do that sort of thing? Or would this, this is a very nah. different project. This is a different project. This is about Africa with songs that have been heard, songs that I've actually written, 12 that I've done already, which we fit into it to make it, you know. Would you appear in this show? No. Right. No, I'd like, I'd like it to be um, very African, but mm. young. Have you done much acting? Would you, have you been asked to do much acting? No, I've always wanted to make a, do, do a bit of like, uh, like um, Christopherson or something like right. that. Yeah, I'd love to do that, I'd love to do that. You never got offered a script from them? No, I never tried. I never said I'm available. Mm. I've never actually put myself forward to mm. to have anything like that. Mm. How do you feel about sort of the advancing years, you know, getting older in um, business and stuff? Is it frustrating? For no, I, I, everybody everybody gets old and everybody dies. That's the one dead sure thing that's going to happen to yeah. all of us. Um, I just don't want to end up in a nursing home. My nightmare is to end up like my mother. Right. I went to see her every um, day. An hour there, an hour back, an hour there, an hour back, you know, and six hours sitting, and in the end it was just sitting, and she'd be staring into space, you know, mm. and I'd sit with her for an hour while she stared Alzheimer's into space. Thing. No, yeah. no, just old age. Was she proud of you, your mum? In a way, I think, no. She's the one that said, no, I don't, I'm not getting involved mm. in, his, uh, in his publicity mm. stunts. But you were very good to your parents, considering. I mean, I wouldn't have been so well, good to... Well, honour your mother and your father. Mm. I, 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 you know, they had a tough life to live. They had, yeah. they had two world wars to live through. I mm. mean, how would I have reacted if I'd have had two world wars to live through and mm. I'd smashed my legs to pulp? Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'd have been like my dad. Mm. But I, you know, I saw letters that uh, his father had written him. And if he'd written to me once like that, I'd have been a different person. Oh, right, they were warm. So I said to my mother, how come he was the way he was when he, he had a loving father like this? She said, don't ask me. What do you mean by saying you'd have been a different person? Because you were incredibly warm. I am. Your yeah, I am. So... I might have been different. Well, different, put it better. Less driven. Left Less driven, more... I don't know. I'm, I'm not being unfair to Dad. I think he was just incapable of, mm. of showing what he felt. Mm. And I think the main reason he never came to join us was he didn't want to be near me. He didn't want to be well, near us. Afterwards, well, how do you want people to remember you? And I don't know. I'd like to be remembered as somebody who wrote some pretty good songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the sort of songs that people will listen to again and again. Durham Town is in the British Folk Library now. I'm delighted with that. Is there uh, one song that you've written that you think best sums up your life? Well, yeah, I do. There's a song I wrote called The Best I Can, which is, which is roughly my philosophy of life. You know, if you, if you can't do something for somebody else, then there's no point in being here. Mm. 
What about turning this into a Graceland years after you've got uh, <laughs> tourists and fans visiting? May do. Would you like that? Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Elvis was a, was a great hero of mine. Did you meet him? No, but he recorded the last farewell. I Have a look in your collection. It, right. was, really? it was a live oh, recording from, really? from Las Vegas. Or? How tough for you to hear about that, then? Oh, over the moon. Were you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I went to make, a, make an album in Nashville, and, um, and a fellow came up to me and he said, I, am, I was Elvis's drummer. He says, I'm now the uh, artists and repertoire manager for, for A&M Records. But at the time I was Elvis's drummer, he played The Last Farewell 30 times before we started recording. And he said to me, this is how we must make records. Elvis said it. So it's just bad luck that he died before I could meet him, you know? Do you think it's lights out when we're all gone? Um, no, I don't. You think we do live on? Yeah, I think you come back. Do you? As a human being or as an animal? As, I don't know. I, think, I hope as a more advanced soul than I am now, you know? Although... Uh, around us, we have people who are who are really who've learnt nothing in time after time mm. of coming in. Yeah. Um, everybody has to have their own belief and their own opinion about things. Yeah. Um, I just think it would be ridiculous to to have all this and not have some purpose to it. You mm. know.